hello again my gorgeous fabulous listeners and thanks for tuning in to another episode of glow west where we chat about the wonders of sex sexuality and the body i'm your host dr caroline west and i'm always delighted to be part of the tortoise shack network where you can find tons of content on politics culture society and of course me with the sex podcast and if you like what we do please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack to help keep the mics up and running or please pop over to apple and spotify now to rate and review it really does help to keep the word going about the podcast if you want to get in touch the instagram and twitter is at glow west podcast so obviously we talk about things like sex work a lot on the podcast we have sex workers coming on and sharing all their experiences from ireland and from around the world and what we also talk about are the different models when it comes to sex work and we're not talking about fashion models or anything like that we're talking about the different ways that we can approach sex work so ideological wise is that a word um legal aspect of things cultural aspects all those different things so recently amnesty ireland launched a report looking at the laws around um sex work in ireland and they also shared the experiences from sex workers based in ireland so this is what we like we like reports that actually talk to the people that they are concerned about here to discuss this report with me are anna bush who works with the european office of Amnesty International, Adi Berry, who is also a absolute legend and has been on the podcast a couple of times before, a former sex worker and is now a researcher for intersex um, elderly people, well older people, elderly might be a bit of a stretch there, apologies Adi, um, and I also have Poppy Devine who is a sex worker based in Ireland and Roman who is also a sex worker based in Ireland. So how are you all? Thank you so so much for all of you for giving up your time this evening. How are you keeping? <laughs> good thank you so much for having us thank you yeah perfect thank you for thank gracing you, us again Addy. <laughs> long-term legend you kind <laughs> um yeah so that's it's great to have everyone here obviously this important this report is really really important and you know because there is a review going on at the sex work laws of ireland at the moment so anna would you be so kind as to give us a brief overview of the report Yes, thank you. And thank you so much for the invite. Um, so actually, the review that is currently ongoing is one of the reasons why we thought it was a good time for Amnesty to look more closely into sex workers' human rights in Ireland, um, together with some concerning reports that were coming out of the country in the past couple of years. So, for example, this highly publicized case of um, two Romanian sex workers who were convicted for brothel keeping in 2019 um, and we conducted this research in 2020 and 2021 um, so really it's a piece of research that was practically fully done during the COVID-19 pandemic um, and I was very lucky to be able to speak to and interview sex workers remotely so massive thanks to everyone um, including the people here today who you know made this possible and um, we're happy to talk over the phone or video and refer their friends and um, we wouldn't have been able to do this without them. Um, and what we uncovered were concerns around sex worker safety as a human rights issue. Um, so lots of experiences of different types of violence from uh, physical violence, sexual violence, um, robberies by clients, um, harassment and threats. Um, you know, so different types of violence, um, but situated in this really structural violence context. So um, the laws that are in place in Ireland, the policies, the stigma associated with sex work, um, all we found are interconnected and impact on how sex workers' rights are being realized or not. Um, so, for example, and it's one of the aspects that we looked into that was really prominent in, in this research as we were talking to people, was this prohibition on brothel keeping, so-called brothel keeping um, in Irish law, which means that two or more sex workers working together is considered um, a brothel and it's a criminal offence. Um, and we investigated how this impacts on people's realisation of their human rights, so their autonomy, their safety, the way they're able to protect themselves from possible potential violence or not. Um, yes, so this was this was it in, in a nutshell. Um, okay. And we also looked into the relationship with the police 
um, and we discovered that there is really a profound lack of trust in Angarda Shikona due to lots of different reasons. But again, the stigmatization and attitudes towards sex workers and sex work um, were really coming into, um, into the conversations that we were having. Okay, so that's um, kind of a depressing report, I suppose, that that reality there is, is that the laws have essentially allowed for this culture of violence to flourish and make life difficult. And I know we've had quite a lot of commentary in the news from maybe people who are former sex workers, which, you know, sex work changes so much and people work under different laws. But um, I'm going to go to Roman because you're working under these laws at the moment. So you are the expert more so than somebody who maybe hasn't worked in the area for a, lo- a long, long time. And I saw you nodding away there when you were um, when, when Anna was talking about the, the levels of violence increasing. So do you mind sharing your thoughts around that? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, it's just what ends up happening is ultimately under this Nordic model is that bad clients, I wouldn't even call them clients, really. It's like bad people who, who do prey on sex workers and other marginalized people, they know that the ball is in their corner, right? People have to pay their bills. So if if in, in this situation, what ends up happening is like the clients are so scared and they can claim this. And it's like, oh my God, I'm so scared. It's like, what if I come and the police come? So it's like you're pushed into making more dangerous decisions that you might have not made before. Um, you know, if it's a quiet week. So, you know, it, it's, it's incredibly dangerous. And it's like... Of course, these things can happen under criminalization. Of course, that's not what we want. But it's like, if we were fully decriminalized, we could work together. We, you know, um, in, in terms of if somebody attacked us, if somebody, something happened, we could sue them. We could uh, ensure that in, in the industry that we state a policy of like, you have to give me your ID. I have to have a picture of it. A friend of mine has to have a picture of it. If you decide to harm me, there is a trail. Uh, like there is, you know, in other business places of business, you know, if you go into a hotel, it's like you have to put in your full name and how long you're staying and on, so on and so forth. And sometimes they do ask you for ID. So, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, we definitely, yeah. yeah. And then that, you know, yeah, that element of, of safety that you're saying there is just so important. And Poppy, would you have that same experience, do you think? Uh, well, luckily, I haven't experienced a uh, like great degree of violence from clients, but it's always a worry that's on my mind. And even more so is the knowledge, just knowing in myself that I cannot call the guards if that were to happen. Um, I would more likely call hotel staff um, because that's how I work. Um, but saying that you know like that's a privilege that I have as I don't work on the streets um I would feel that even if I worked from home that I could possibly you know call my neighbors for help um and again like you know it depends on what position you're in to do that um but calling the guards is a thought that would terrify me as you know I don't want my landlord finding out that I do this um, because under or current laws, then my landlord will have the power to evict me. Okay, and that's not just hyperbole. Like, Addy, you've had that experience and you've you've talked about that before. Like, tell us a little bit about that, because I think people really, you think about this in abstract terms, but, like, you've actually lived this. Well, I know the guardy, like, everybody likes to think of themselves as the good guy. Um, everybody goes home at the end of the day and likes to reflect back on their on their on their day and on themselves as being a good person. But I also know the Gardi like to position sex work as inherently violent. But what we keep trying to get across to them is they are the violence. They are when we are we suffer violence from a client, it's the Gardi that have put us in that place. We're between a rock and a hard place. It's between dealing with dangerous clients or dealing with the violence that comes on you from uh, the guardee. When it comes from a, if it's with a client, they might rob you. Um, When it comes to the guardee, they might put you in jail. They might evict you. um, They might deport you. When they raided those two um, young girls, one of whom was pregnant that Anna mentioned earlier, 
The only thing they were guilty of is working together for safety. There was no clients present. All they had on them was some condoms. There was so little money that the judge made fun of them. And they were both sentenced to nine months in prison. On one hand, you'll hear the people who push these laws talking about how they're fighting trafficking. What they did to those two girls is very close to the definition of trafficking that, that they would use. They were violently raided, um, apprehended, jailed. Um, that girl went to jail as a pregnant girl for the crime of working with a friend. In my instance, this is the thing too, I'm, I'm an Irish person and I have more privilege than an undocumented um, sex worker would. I also um, talked with a, with a solicitor before um, engaging in sex work after moving back to Ireland where I grew up. We were raided um, by the Gardaí. The, the, the law is client criminalization. The client was sent on his way. I think if you look in the report too, um, other workers talk about how Gardaí are clients. The Gardaí are, I think almost every worker has had a Gardaí as a client at some point. Um, we were violently raided. And after that, it was months of intimidation, abuse, threats, until finally they got a hold of the landlord and um, we got evicted and we lost everything in the process. We, uh, my wife had just moved from the US. Um, I had moved back from the US. We left our community behind. Uh, we had nothing to our name and, and we spent a lot of, um, we spent a long time uh, planning our own suicides because we didn't see any way forward. When I tried to find work in other areas, nobody is willing, was willing to hire a trans person. Um, you're, you're, you're pushed into this corner where you have no option other than sex work, and then you're punished for it. It's, it's almost like you're being punished for daring to survive. Mm. It's brutal. Um, I, it, it's, it's, I'd be hard put to imagine an act of violence from a client, not that it doesn't happen, that would have the lasting impact that the violence of the guardee had. Um, I mean, my wife is struggling years later. Uh, recently, I was reading out something on PTSD and she goes, oh my God, that's what I've got. That exactly describes how what I'm struggling with since what happened with the Gardaí. It, it, it's terrifying. And, and when I brought this up with Gardaí, um, right before uh, COVID happened, I sat down in a room with them. And this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up. I told them that I'd just spoken to a couple of um, sex workers that had been raped and were afraid to go to Gardaí for fear of making their circumstances worse. And they both exploded. They jumped up, they pounded on the table. How can we make things worse? How can we make things worse? And the response, I responded, well, you could evict them. And they sat back down and said, well, we have to evict them. You know, I mean, they, the Gardaí are the violence in sex work. I think that's a really, really important point. I'm really glad that you're discussing it because people talk about, you know, violent, the violence of sex work and all the time it's focused on violent um, clients. But we have to look at those other forms of violence as well and violence from a state level, so to speak. And that's inclusive of guards and NGOs that want to rescue and things like that. And, and you know, don't necessarily permit access to um, resources and things and Anna would you have found any kind of common um, trends around people and, and their feelings around the guards I mean like you know we, we've heard from these three awesome people here and it just it sounds like it, that was a very common experience to have such a negative interaction with the guards yes definitely um, it was also something coming up in um, pretty much all the interviews um, it was on one hand people having very negative experiences with the guards when reporting a crime to them, when reporting that they didn't feel safe or that something happened. Um, but on the other hand, also people feeling that they could never, ever um, get in touch with the guards like Poppy, Addy and Ronan said, because it was just too risky for them. So um, it could result in deportation, it could result in an eviction, it could result in being prosecuted themselves for brothel keeping or for other prostitution related offences as they are called in Irish law. Um, so people really didn't feel like there was any way that they could engage with the guards and this was coming because of the kind of lack of 
um, separation of powers as well. So it's the same Gardi who police sex work, um, who conduct these kind of raids that Adi was talking about, to whom sex workers are supposed to go with any um, reports of violence and, and for protection, really. Um, it's the same Gardi who theoretically can, even though we're always told that this doesn't really happen, but who can um, act as you know, immigration officers. So for people who are not from Ireland or who have any sort of um, concerns about their migration status or who may want to apply for citizenship in the future, it's a massive um, risk because, you know, they could end up having a criminal record, which would make them their naturalization much more difficult, if not impossible. Um, and so the sex workers that we spoke to basically in most of the cases didn't feel like it was an option to go to the Gardaí at all if anything happened. It was just, that's not what you do. You get in touch with your community and that's where you have the support. And the other sex workers, um, they know what to do when when you're at risk or if something happens. But obviously that's not um, that's not ideal. It's not ideal, no. And it, it, it should, other people don't face that in society through their jobs. So no, no one else, you know, sex workers shouldn't have that experience as well. And Roman, you know, I want to go to you and the thoughts of like that community aspect of things. Like how hard is it to find community when you're working in a, a job that's kind of undercovers no pun intended um but you know where you can't actually come out and you know be open about your your job for for fear of being persecuted by state mm. services it's quite difficult it's quite difficult and i think um in in some ways it becomes easier interestingly enough it becomes easier when you're part of a marginalized group when you're queer when you're trans you kind of tend to uh, you know meet people who are in the same position as you and you guys tend to do sex work right so that is really where it ends up but it's it's quite difficult um i managed to connect when i moved to ireland i managed to connect through twitter and i, I was basically like hello i'm here i am also one of you uh, but i think this whole isolation is very much a direct tactic by the law right it's like they want us to be isolated they want us to be in danger it's like this isn't this this isn't a funny coincidence this isn't like this law as much as they can pretend that this was instated to care about women never mind that it completely erases the fact that lots of trans people non-binary people and men uh, of cis and trans experience engage in sex work every single day um it has nothing to do about their safety. It has nothing to do, but it has everything to do with isolating us, forcing us into more dangerous situations rather than allowing us to have camaraderie and to work safely. And, you know, this brings up um, a lot of mental health issues, um, you know, like, yeah. And, and it's just, it's really sad to think about because we have lost sex workers for multiple reasons. We've lost them because of mental health issues um, that are definitely driven forward through this. And just as Addie mentioned with her and her wife, it's like, um, I think they would have been absolutely fine if they, if everything was decriminalized and they were just allowed to exist and do their job. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really important statement like that mental health aspect is you know it's always going to be impacted um by fear and stuff and I know Poppy you mentioned earlier there that you work in hotels but like that you know you know and there is a massive difference between street-based sex work and hotels and you know just different aspects of safety and you know other things to consider but like how you, you know what's that safety element like if you're go you're going into places you might necessarily know the layout of and things like that um, I suppose at this stage, um, like I would know the hotels that are workable to me, like what I've faced predominantly because of the laws um, is stigma, really, um, because the laws really promote stigma on that level, um, because we're seen as this underground culture rather than just people going about our daily business. Um, and I suppose it shocks people how normal we are and how like, you know, every day this is to us, but you know, like it's our working life. 
Um, and what makes a big difference for me is having to tell at least 10 lies every day to people who are outside this work. Um, and I haven't always been like that. In the beginning, um, when I started working, it was just before the laws were introduced, I told several close friends what I did um, and it was made out to be something I was doing to harm myself, to um, just to purely have dysfunctional relationships. Whereas like, no, I was doing it because of the housing crisis. Um, that was the number one reason I entered. And like, you know, ever since I've done sex work, my life has gotten so much more stable. Um, so like coding it as some deviant sort of behavior rather than economic reactions. Um, yeah, like, I think that's a huge issue that's brought on by the laws. Um, it's a conversation we have to have as a society, but it's also, you know, upheld by the laws. Mm, I yeah, 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 100%. And I think that stigma, I, I think we see it in so many aspects of, of sex workers' lives. But um, Adi, I know um, this is something that, that you've had quite strong feelings on before, but I know I mentioned... Um, I was writing recently about the murder of Ashing Murphy and, uh, you know, the vigils that happened across Ireland and, you know, the whole country, it seemed, came out for a vigil and it was, you know, we should do that for every woman, of course, that gets murdered, like, but, you know, this seemed like a moment, but I was writing and I was going, I've been to the vigil on December 17th at the Doll for murdered sex workers and there's no politicians there or there has been a few in fairness I will give them credit like Eileen Flynn has turned up which has been great um, and a couple of others but there's been no like NGOs I don't know if the rape crisis centres have gone I can't speak on that but maybe you know um, you, you can mention that but, but it's just like how how come they don't get that attention you know like what's going on that like those people aren't good enough to get a vigil or even come out of your office at the doll or your office around the corner from the doll to show up well one thing we've we've seen with the rise of trump and everything in the u.s is that the first step towards dividing a population and making some people unworthy is dehumanization and it's not really the case in Ireland that they initiated a, uh, um, a campaign of dehumanization. They're writing the same campaign of dehumanization that was brought in in the 1930s when during the uh, formation of, that was born out of the formation of church and state when they drastically rolled women's rights back. We've been fighting to be recognized since. I mean, this, it's that the stigma in Ireland is the same stigma that allowed parents to drag their pregnant children to um, Magdalene asylums run by the same nuns that brought these laws in. Like I worked in the, in the Bible Belt. I worked in Texas. Like you were talking earlier about community. And because even though in the US, it, it's fully crim sex work is fully criminalized almost everywhere, you'd be hanging out in a restaurant in Austin and somebody would be in the restaurant and you would recognize each other from your own sex work ads. And then you become friends and, and we would get together and, and there wasn't the same level of shame. I knew a lot of, I mean, I'm, I'm close with my, like, okay, I'm an Irish person. I'm, I'm largely disowned by my entire Irish family. Um, aunts, uncles, everybody reached out to say, don't get in touch. I'm very close with my uh, US relatives. A lot of them are conservative and they, they still send birthday cards and presents. The stigma in Ireland is, is through the roof compared to anywhere else. Even UK, right next door. Um, I bumped into a sex worker um, in the grocery store that I knew from social media with her mom, introduced big hugs. Um, the mom knows what she does. Uh, also, um, I asked her, would she, not, not in the grocery store, but I've asked her previously, would she ever hesitate to call the police? And I think we all feel the same way about police, but she said she's called them many times, would never hesitate to call them again. That's stark contrast with what we have in Ireland. But we're dehumanized. Um, you can see that there's, there's an article came out recently by Ivana Basak, who, um, one, she's a very privileged person. Uh, she's a law professor at Trinity. She's a literal millionaire, heir of the Waterford class fortune. Uh, she's one of the, the 
strongest proponents, one of the, the people who fought the hardest to bring this law in. And you can see in the recent paper, just that the, the disputing our right to autonomy over ourselves, it, it's, it's the same, you can see it again in, in the research that Turn Off the Red Light campaign brought to use to bring in these laws. I think the, the research was um, created by the Immigrant Council Ireland. It was funded by the Religious Sisters of Charity themselves. They had a non-right to forward and they worked very hard in the introduction to that 2009 paper to dismantle our autonomy over ourselves. They worked very hard to conflate trafficking and sex work um, in the foreword by Sister Stanislaus Kennedy. She says something to the effect of, well, it's hard to tell trafficking and sex work apart, so why bother? But there's a very careful effort to dehumanize us and to bury us in stigma. And, and that's the thing, like anywhere else we can stand up and be counted, but it's Irish people standing up and reaching out risk so much. Uh, I, when I sat down with the Gardaí, I told them, I mean, you've already almost taken our lives. You've almost taken the life of the love of my life. My children are too old to take away. Um, I'm already disowned by my family. We've already been evicted. I have a duty to stand up, but there's so many other people that are going to have their futures destroyed, lose their social um, supports, their family, their career prospects, their, their liberty. Um, we, we have so much to lose. And, and that stigma comes from the same people who fought for these laws and the same people who are profiting in, in terms of funding. Did that come up in the report at all, Anna? The the feelings like Addie has there of like that, like I, I would feel very resentful. I mean, I think naming that those feelings, uh, uh, you know, like what is that attitude towards the people who brought this law in? Did that come up in the report at all? It did, yes. A lot of um, sex workers that we spoke to had um, things to say about that. And, you know, we're pointing us towards um, investigating that data, for example, that Adi mentioned. Um, so we looked at that in the report as well. And, and we kind of tried to see um, where the Irish authorities were um, going to for the information that they um, they based their laws and policies on. And it was very much that um, data from 2009 um, that really, again, conflated um, sex work with human trafficking. Um, yes, and a lot of sex workers also told us um, that they felt that this, you know, legacy of the Catholic Church and everything that goes with that um, is still very, very much present in how they are viewed in Irish society at the moment, how um, sex workers are portrayed in the media very often, um, how people in Ireland approach uh, sexuality in general, and you know how all of this is kind of intersected and, and um, comes together very much. So this kind of moralistic approach to um, sometimes to all things related to sex and sexuality. And when it comes to sex work, like that becomes this kind of real taboo and, and the real strong stigma is attached to it and has been for many years. So yes, a lot of people um, talked about that. Okay, uh, Roman, what are your thoughts on, on that experience of that stigma and that relationship with religion and cultural attitudes towards sex? Um. It was definitely interesting um, moving here. <laughs> um, I lived I lived in many places. I lived in North America for a long time, um, so I can definitely relate to what Adi says about like how you know saying a sex and I don't have the experience of being in the Bible Belt, but um, definitely easier to just be like, yeah, I'm a sex worker, and everybody they're like, cool, dope. They don't even ask a question about it, um, and, and I like that. But it's like here, um, I've been fairly blessed I guess because I'm a very outspoken person so I feel like I already kind of like you know people who are a bit more conservative they're already not really attracted to me which is fine by me um but uh, most of the time I I tend to find people who have this like a bit of a fetishistic interest um and it's like oh my god tell me the details it's like I'm not telling you the details pay me pay me and I'll tell you everything um 
but but the reality of it is um even with clients you know it's funny because it's like we'll have a session and they'll have and then there's this amount of shame that comes after and it's like you've done nothing wrong you've enjoyed a moment we've we've had a fantastic time but it's like as, as if they've done god knows what and it's like I don't have those issues when I have American clients. I don't have those issues when I have German, when I have Dutch, when I have Belgian. Um, that doesn't really come up. It is such a, even English people, which is interesting, given that the amount of puritanical belief that is in this country is very much strictly um, connected to British colonialism. Um, you know, of course, the Catholic Church itself, but it's like the, these things, these two things are not disconnected just because the Brits have decided to become Protestants. That's their problem. <laughs> but, yeah. but, but, you know, but ultimately it's like, I think it's very much in the interest of Irish people to decolonize and to decolonize their relationship with sex. And that has to start with sex workers because everything starts with us. Everything starts with us. If we are being shot on, regular women, quote unquote, regular women are being shot on, right? It's like, we're seen as fallen. The women who were pregnant before marriage or too young, they were seen as fallen. We see the way that people treat, quote unquote, fallen women. We can't justify it. We should have never justified it. Um, but we cannot continue justifying it. Yeah, so. I think when when you're saying that, like it very much is that that binary between the good woman and the bad woman. And again, I'm brought back to the vigil of how it's really hypocritical that everyone cared so much about someone else, but they won't turn up for a vigil for multiple people who've lost their lives, you know, because they've been doing sex work at the time or they they have identified as a sex worker somehow but so so it's okay to ignore those women because of what matter. they did i mean like that's just the feeling that is out there that they don't matter and that it's just like that then therefore the natural add-on from that is then violence against them is then acceptable i mean like poppy you had you know you, you shared there that um people said is this a kind of form of self-harm like you're already experiencing like people looking down on you and thinking there's something mentally wrong with you and that you're doing something um out of control or you know something wrong like and you know having grown up in Ireland I assume that you didn't get good sex education because yeah. we didn't really didn't <laughs> yeah so like how um, do, what are I, your thoughts there yeah like see I've had to contend with um you know, being instantly painted as a fallen woman when um, I came out and I told those close, like those close friends I used to have and ended up losing because I did sex work. And not only that, they told, they told their parents, their parents, um, like, luckily, I'm not close to my family, but they told my family, I can't even tell, you know, the exact amount of people they told. But there was this, um, there was this dynamic to how they treated treated me. First of all, it was, um, oh, you're broken. You are, you know, a sad little creature for doing this. Let us help you. And when I was like, um, you know, I'm just starting this, but hang on, this isn't reflective of my experience. I, I am not broken for one. I'm reacting to my economic circumstance, just like anybody else who has a job. Um, when I resisted, it went from you are a poor little creature to you are a dangerous heathen demon. Um, you need to be separated from decent society. Um, one um, one of the women involved even accused me of um, putting notions into her daughter's head and thereby being a potential pimp. Um, so I think just from you know seeing that, I'm sharing it because it's a trend a lot of us have experienced. And it's very much this... Um, this really like it plays directly into the fallen woman and it's also religious no matter how those people identified not a lot of them would say they are catholic but they were raised in a catholic country and unfortunately you absorb those ideals whether you want to or not if you go to a catholic primary school if you are if you have a communion if you you know if you live in ireland you've been to some degree indoctrinated and it shows up in your views on women particularly sexual women so yeah 
does yeah not ideal <laughs> no no definitely not and that fallen woman thing Addy, so people like yourself you know how do you fit into that binary of like good woman bad woman when you're intersex and trans and as roman mentioned earlier it's not just women involved in sex work it's men it's trans people it's non-binary people it's like literally if you are a human like you know that you'd be found in every industry but they're kind of ignored in these kind of conversations yeah, but it's it's also hard from my position too. The, the thing that drove me back into college was being denied um, healthcare as an intersex and trans person. I mean, you've got in Ireland, Ireland still performs medically unnecessary surgeries on intersex people. Then those people are denied healthcare later on. There's no healthcare for trans people. It, there's they work very very hard to erase us. If, if you go on the HSE website, for example, it says there's a there's a page on FGM, and we all agree. I mean, I think yesterday was a day attend a female genital mutilation. There's a page on that because that's outlawed in Ireland. Ireland performs exactly the same procedures on intersex people, amongst other ones, but then. If that person needs, they will need medical care afterwards. It just doesn't exist. It's, it's So the same as in a lot of the narrative around, um, around sex work, trans people are excluded from it. A lot of the people who fought for uh, the laws that we currently have are directly responsible for bringing them in, also platform uh, major anti-trans activists. And from my position, I can't help but think that they consider that a bit of the, the added bonus. I mean, you're by poverty and equality, you're put in a position where the only thing you can survive on. I, I spoke at an intersex conference not that long ago. One of the sponsors of the of the of the conference was an organization that did hire me, put me through training. And when they saw my passport that I'm legally female, it turned into a we'll call you, don't call us situation. I mean, I've been denied employment over and over again on the basis of being trans. In Ireland, they won't fire you for it, but they also won't hire you for it. In Ireland, you can get your legal gender changed, your name changed, that will be used to deny you employment and discriminate you against you. Um, like I said, the, the, the people who brought in these laws also, Ruhama have platformed major anti-trans activists, um, one of the major pieces of state-funded research uh, that is supporting the law, uh, one of the, the head researcher on that um, is an anti-trans activist who spoke at the launch of the women's lobby anti-trans org in Ireland. It's it, they're they're part and parcel. Swerfs and turfs are always the same. Yeah, you scratch the a surf, you find a turf and. Yeah. You usually find a racist and so on and so forth too, because also these laws are racist. Mm -hmm. they, they go back to, even in um, recent articles from the Guardi, there was the implication in their quotes that if you got rid of foreign men, Eastern European men, and that's a trope that's been going a long way back. I mean, that's what inspired Dracula. When Ireland had the biggest red light district in, in Europe, there was, there was a whole idea going back to that fallen woman thing on one hand, it was like Schrodinger, sex worker. We acknowledge that we have all of these women here who are in sex work because of poverty and equality, but also at the same time, no Irish woman would ever engage in sex work. And when there was a character in the theater uh, playing an Irish sex worker, there was a riot and they tore up the theater. There was a, there was a narrative that, that sex work was, a, even though we will acknowledge poverty and inequality, there was a disease carried by English soldiers that would, when they, they would infect a girl, then she would be corrupted by this, uh, this evil, then she would spread it to other women. It was just um, this idea that it's a moral contagion that we carry that, that's still around a hundred years later. And doesn't seem to be getting weaker sometimes in some areas. Well, and all of you have mentioned poverty. And, you know, I think like there's a lot of people who have moral ideas about sex work and, you know, ideological ideas and, and stuff like that. And that's fine on one hand. But like when you're acting on that to make other people's lives more dangerous, that's where the problem is. Um, and obviously the major problem is poverty a lot of the time if, if you have to keep a roof over your head and you may not have other resources like if, especially if you're a migrant and you're more vulnerable to poverty um, 
then obviously, you know, uh, people add one and one together and, you know, try and keep a roof over their heads. I mean, and how did the report deal with issues of poverty? I mean, Ireland has gone through housing crisis and now the cost of living is going up. And then, you know, the, the direct provision system is just really fucking shit um, and doesn't offer a fair life to anyone that's in it. So, you know, where how did poverty kind of intersects with sex work in your reports? Lots of people talked about that. Um, and, you know, I kind of made a point when I was interviewing people of not asking them their reasons for doing sex work, because that's not what our research was about. But a lot of people kind of were volunteering this information. And a lot of them had a lot to say about that, um, about the inequalities, socioeconomic inequalities that are often connected with like what um, Adi and Norman were saying, you know, difficulties for trans people to get jobs, for example. Um, the housing crisis was a major, major thing for lots of people that we spoke to. Um, I think there were four people who, when we interviewed them, were having some form of a housing crisis. So we're either experiencing homelessness or being kind of in between, um, in, in kind of in between situations. Um, and a lot of people that we spoke to have had difficulties either finding adequate housing, keeping it, um, or, you know, just feeling secure in it because of these laws that put them at risk of evictions. Um, so it all kind of was coming together, you know, the fact that people needed the money to meet their basic needs. Um, the fact that there just isn't enough adequate housing and social housing in Ireland, um, the reliance on private housing that is very much unregulated and where, you know, the rents can go up from one day to another, um, the conditions that people are supposed to be living in in this rented accommodation. Um, so it was a huge, huge issue um, for, for our interviewee. Um, we spoke to one person who was living in direct provision at the time of the interview, um, and this was a male sex worker um, who, um, you know, has now the right to work as an asylum seeker and was very actively looking for jobs while living in direct provision, um, but it was just not happening. He was just unable to find jobs that would allow him to move out of there, that would allow him to survive. Um, and he told us that, you know, he uh, started doing sex work because this was really um, how he needed to, you know, find the, the way to uh, support himself. Um, so, yes, absolutely. This is, you know, what people were telling us was kind of at the forefront of, of um their situations very often um, and we also spoke to people who like had other jobs so it wasn't um, for example that they just did sex work but I had some interviews who were working full-time in, in other jobs uh, some other ones who were on different social welfare benefits and that just wasn't enough and it wasn't um, allowing them to support themselves sufficiently. And yeah, so that that mix, a toxic mix of poverty, racism, transphobia, xenophobia, all the phobias just all mixed in where poverty, I mean, it's like no surprise that people try and survive like it's not rocket science. And then obviously we want them to be safe at the same time. I mean, going forward there, we're, we're coming to the end. Like, where do we go from here? We know it's terrible we know um it's not a sustainable situation really and that, that we have people placed in a state of vulnerability by the state and that's you know for economic reasons or by institutional reasons reasons right things like the harassment that people like Addy have faced there as well where do we go from here I'll go to all of you on that and I'll, I'll start with Roman there uh I mean I th the stance of like most sex workers is fairly clear we want decriminalization uh, obviously everyone else here can speak up but um definitely um i want it to be treated like you know like any other job of course it's it's different in some ways but all jobs are different for each other so um you know i want to be able to just work i, I don't want to be in fear 
at all at all times. I don't want to be stressed at all times. I don't want to not be able to um, work at a brothel with friends where like it's just, you know, I think even through COVID, we've realized that like the, the separation between work and home is, is very important. Um, so I think it's it's important for us to have a place where we can go and work and leave work behind and go home and 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 do our own bits safely, safely. And um, yeah, we we need the support of everybody, particularly the people on the left. Um, yeah, so, you yeah. would think they would all be supportive, but they're not all the time. So um, lots of progress. They're not not so progressive sometimes. I think. Um, yeah, Poppy, your thoughts on, on how we can move forward now that we, we've heard sex workers, we heard, we heard this report, what do we do now? Um, I would echo decriminalization. Um, as we, like, you know, most sex workers, we all would echo decriminalization. Um, and that's because, you know, we want to be safe um, and, you know, we want to be able to just work together. Um, these are really just basic working demands. Um, and I think it would make it a lot easier for us to be able to say unionize and like get working protections through decriminalization. Um, I work also in a strip club and that it, that isn't, um, you know, criminalized. And that was how I got a community because I didn't feel under observation. I didn't feel that I was, you know, going to get in trouble for working with all these other amazing people um, because, you know, it's not a place that is going to be raided by the guards. It's perfectly okay to go work there. Um, so I think all sorts of sex work need to be um, like that because otherwise um, it gets pushed underground. And if any working abuse happens, you have no protections really. That's, that's not a situation anyone should be in in their, in their workplace, regardless of what you're doing to put food on the table. No one should have to experience extra danger that doesn't necessarily have to be there. So, um, yeah, Addy, your thoughts on, on going forward? Definitely echoing what Roman and Poppy said, decrim all the way. But also what Poppy just said there, too, um, we know that the you know the, the guardi will on one hand talk about well we need to we need sex work laws to tackle organized crime but as as far as we can tell we're the only ones being tackled the mob in the US was born out of um, prohibition with alcohol it gave birth to it if you want mob the mob taken out of sex work decriminalize it they've got nowhere to go the Irish government is pushing more and more people into the situation. Back during the, around the same era when the mob was booming in, in America in the 30s and so on and so forth, during the Great Depression, was a lot of people found themselves in sex work that had never considered it before. There was men that worked as dock hands, shoving the, 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 the male sex workers who had been working the beat, shoving them out of the way and taking their spot. A lot more people found themselves in sex work that probably never thought about it before they had no option other than to think about it. The Irish government is not addressing the housing situation. If they can't address it, who's going to address it? The cost of living is going up. More and more people are going to be finding themselves in sex work, people who never thought about it. The people who fought for these laws love to say, nobody ever imagined that one day they would be a sex worker. No, we all fucking want to be princesses, but here we are, you know? More and more people are going to be finding themselves in this position. And we can't solve we can't solve poverty and equality by policing those people out of existence, those people meaning us. And then when do they get to that point? There's gonna be more and more people in sex work, and we can't police all of us out of existence that are doing this to survive. It's not a, it's not sustainable. It really, really isn't. And going forward, um you know, the, the 2017 law is under review. It feels like it's been under review for years. Like, obviously, COVID has delayed things as well. Um, and is there an update on when that's even any reports coming out or any any progress on it at all? We just actually asked the Department of Justice again. Um, we sent them a letter as Amnesty a couple of um, days ago, you know, sharing um, the full report now that it's published. 
um, and asking for an update specifically and, and also asking how we could share our findings with the reviewer um, who is you know an independent um, reviewer um, but so far we haven't had any um, any further updates so yes very keen to hear more and, and know about the progress because yes we've, we've been also very very much interested in where this review is going and um, when the next steps are going to be taken. Yeah, the sooner the better, because, you know, like you said, it's not a sustainable scenario and, you know, we don't need to be putting people in dangerous situations even more so than um, than they may or may not be in the first place. So, uh, you know, this is a podcast that could go on for hours and unfortunately we're coming to the end. But um, where can people find out information about yourselves if you if you want? Um, and where can people find the report and yourself? I can share a link. I don't know if you'll be able to kind of like share it with yeah, the episode. Yeah, I can put that in the show notes. But, um, yeah. Great. We have the report both on Amnesty's kind of international website and on Amnesty Ireland's website. Um, and then our Instagram and Twitter accounts as well. There's, there's bits of information. And um, we also did a blog with different you know quotes from sex workers um, but again you know the whole report is really sex workers words and, and our analysis fantastic brilliant I'll, uh, yeah, I'll stick a note to that in the show notes for anyone who wants to listen to that and I absolutely urge people to go and listen to that um, Roman where can people find yourself if they want to get involved they can find me at the red umbrella front Instagram and Twitter and you should all follow us <laughs> fantastic yeah you have like a really great punchy kind of Instagram so yeah that's pretty awesome fabulous um, and Poppy yourself um, yeah, I would echo again Red Umbrella Front. Uh, I'm also at Angels most of the time. And uh, like, if you've never been to a strip club before, <laughs> we're getting way more queer these days. So I encourage all the queers to come see us. <laughs> Treat yourself, definitely. <laughs> Fabulous. And Addy, where can people find you? Um, reiterating what Poppy and Roman said, uh, Red Umbrella Front, Twitter and Instagram, and then um, I'm Adeline Berry everywhere else. Perfect. I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Listen, I really appreciate um, everyone sharing their experiences tonight and their time and, you know, hopefully things do get better. And I urge everyone listening to really just go and educate yourself and read that report and actually listen to sex workers who are the experts on their own experiences um, and do get involved with Red Umbrella Front. And, you know, please do support people when it's coming up to the conversations about this review that will happen at some point soon hopefully um you know because someone you love is a sex worker and even if it isn't someone you love even if it's a complete random stranger they still deserve to be as safe as they possibly can be so please do read the report and we will chat to you next time 